for those of you who are joining us online, let me say welcome and let me encourage you to um, put a comment in the comment sections to let us know you're here. Now, let me encourage everybody to take your copy of the Bible, God's Word, whether it's in print, whether you've got it electronically on your phone or whatever else, hold it up and repeat after me our affirmation about what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 4 this morning. Revelation chapter 4. It was 1972. I was 12 years old. And a movie came out that scared me to death. Uh, the title of the movie was A Thief in the Night. And the movie started this way. There was this woman. She woke up first thing in the morning to a radio broadcast that was telling about millions of Americans and millions of people around the world that, that had suddenly disappeared. And then she looked to discover that her husband was one of those. Now this movie was one of the first and perhaps the first to, to try to give us a picture of what the rapture and what the days after the rapture would be like. Now at 12 years old I had already given my life to Jesus, I was saved. But I got to tell you, the movie still scared me. And the reason it scared me is because I, I had that question, what if? What if I'm not saved? What if I don't really know Jesus? What if I'm left behind? And that's kind of the question that I want us to, to answer this morning. I want us to answer the question, what is the rapture? Is it, is it real? Or is it just some belief that, that some in the church have come to believe about the second coming of Jesus? Gary Namar, who is the author of End Times Fiction, said this. He said, there is no single verse in the entire Bible that supports the pre-tribulation rapture. Paul Figben, who is the author of The Rapture Trap, said it this way. He said, their cherished doctrine simply does not appear anywhere in the Bible. And Barbara Rossing, who is a New Testament professor at the Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago, said this. She said, the rapture is a racket. Whether prescribing a violent script for Israel or survivalism in the United States, this theology distorts God's vision for the world. It is not biblical. We are not raptured off of the earth. So the question is, are they correct? Is the rapture fiction? Is it a trap? Is it a racket? Now when we come to Revelation chapter 4, we're entering into the third major division of the book of Revelation. Let me remind you that, that Jesus told us that this book was divided into three sections. In John chapter 1, verse 19, Jesus said this. He said, write the things which you have seen and the things which are 
and the things which will take place after these things. The things which you have seen are past. That vision of the glorified Jesus, Jesus in all of his glory. The things which are, are the present. The, the message to the seven churches in Asia Minor. But last week we discovered that these churches are also representative of churches of every age. And we also saw that these churches are most likely prophetic, giving us a picture of the church age. From the time the church entered the world at Pentecost until the time the church exits the world. But today we come to that final division in the book of Revelation. The things which will take place after these things. The future events. The things that will happen after these things are things that will happen after the church age. And so everything that we read about in the book of Revelation in chapter 4 and 5 following take place after the church age and so I want you to follow along in your Bible beginning in chapter 3 verse 20 I want us to start there because I believe that it kind of ties in with chapter 4 as we read our scripture today chapter 3 verse 20 behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. After this, I looked and saw a door that opened into heaven. Then the voice that had spoken to me at first and that sounded like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must happen next? Now, that phrase, what must happen next, in the Greek is literally after this. Come up here and I will show you what will happen after this. Right then, the Spirit took control of me. And there in heaven, I saw a throne and someone sitting on it. The one who was sitting there sparkled like precious stones of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow that looked like an emerald surrounded the throne. Twenty-four other thrones were in a circle around the throne. And on each of these thrones, there was an elder dressed in white clothes and wearing a crown. Now, as I said, that Greek phrase after this occurs both at the very beginning of verse 1 and at the end of verse 1. It's as if the Lord wants to make sure that we understand that what he is about to have tells us happens after the church age and the very first thing that happens as the church age ends is the rapture of the church when the church age is open or over we see that the doors are open to heaven to everyone who has opened the doors of their heart to Jesus in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 Jesus is outside knocking Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, we see a door opened in heaven. And John goes up into heaven, I believe, representing each and every believer that is going to be raptured at the end of the church age. John sees a door open. He hears a voice calling him. And immediately, he is transported from earth to heaven. Now, and as I said, I, 
along with many others, believe that this is a picture of the rapture as God is preparing the world for the tribulation, his wrath that is going to be poured out on the world. Now, it's interesting that in chapters 1, 2, and 3, we read that word church, ecclesia, over and over and over again. But we get to chapter 4, and the church is never mentioned again until we get to Revelation 22, the end of the book. Now, if the church is going to be here during the tribulation, while all this is happening, then why isn't the church mentioned in these chapters? I believe the reason is because the church is raptured. But the reality is, there are a lot of people that have a lot of crazy views about the rapture, about how it's going to happen and all of these things. True story. A Little Rock, Arkansas woman and 13 others were injured in a 20-car pileup. When she mistakenly thought the rapture was occurring, she opened up the sunroof in her car and jumped out. As she did, she hit the ground. She caused a 20-car pileup. 13 people were injured. Now, what had happened? Well, as she was dry, or her husband was driving, she looked out the window and she saw what it looked like, 13 people floating up in the air. And then she looked on the side of the road and there was this man in a white robe with his hands up like this. And she thought it was Jesus calling the church home. So she opened up her sunroof and jumped out and hit the road. Now what really happened? Well, what really happened is there was this man who was driving his pickup truck and he was on the way to a toga party. In the back of his pickup truck, he had 13 helium blow-up dolls. He had a tarp over the top of his pickup truck, the bed of his pickup truck, but as he was driving along, the tarp flew off, and as the tarp flew off, these helium-filled dolls began to float up in the air. Well, he pulled over because he saw what had happened, and he was just standing there looking like this as his dolls went up in the air. And that's when this lady in her car with her husband drove by, and she saw these dolls floating up in the air and she saw a man in a robe with his hands like this and she thought surely Jesus is calling the church home and so she opened up her sunroof ready to get out and before her husband could stop the car she was out on the road 13 people were injured well there are a lot of crazy people in the world and a lot of crazy people have crazy ideas about the rapture but I got to tell you when the rapture does occur you're not going to need to open your sunroof when the rapture occurs, you're not going to have to get a good jump on a trampoline to help Jesus out. He's going to be able to take you up if you're ready. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to try to answer for you four questions about the rapture to help you better understand what this event is all about. First of all, what is the rapture? Well, I think that the Bible is crystal clear on this. Now, the two most important events that take place in human history are the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. Those are the two most important events that happen in history. Now, most of us who are followers of Jesus, we know a lot about the first coming. I mean, we celebrate it at Christmas, right? 
We know Jesus was born in a manger. We know all of these things. We know the stories about the first coming. But many of us who know Jesus, who love Jesus, know very little about the second coming. And yet for every verse in the Bible that speaks of the first coming of Jesus, there are eight verses that speak of the second coming of Jesus. In the New Testament, 260 chapters have 318 references to the second coming of Jesus. But here's where the confusion lies. I believe that with a careful reading of Scripture, you discover that the second coming of Jesus occurs in two phases. One before the tribulation, the rapture, and the second after the tribulation, the return. And so if we don't recognize and understand that there are two separate events that take place, we get confused when it comes to the second coming of Jesus. And in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, I believe that we see a picture of the rapture. Jesus coming for his own. In Revelation chapter 19, we see a picture of Jesus' return when he comes with his own. You see, the rapture is when Jesus comes for his own. The return is when Jesus comes with his own. The rapture is when Jesus comes in the air. The return is when Jesus comes to earth. The rapture is when only believers will see Jesus. The return is when every eye will behold him. The rapture begins the tribulation. The return begins the millennium reign of Jesus. And so the rapture and the return are two separate events. Now let me give you a definition of the rapture. The rapture is that event in which all who have placed their faith in Jesus will suddenly, in the twinkling of an eye, be caught up from the earth and the grave and be taken to heaven. So the rapture is that event when all who have placed their faith in Jesus will suddenly, in the twinkling of an eye, be caught up from the earth or from the grave to be with Jesus in heaven. Now, if your Bible is open to Revelation 4, I want you to write down a couple of verses right there in the margin. Write down 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, and then write down 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52, because both of these passages both deal with the rapture. Paul talked about the rapture as he wrote this letter to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians. These believers had been told about the second coming of Jesus, but they were confused. And they were confused because they were going through persecution. Some of them had died. And, and they were beginning to wonder, have we missed the second coming of Jesus? And so Paul wrote this letter to them to clear up what was happening, to clear up what would happen to people who had died, but also to tell them about the rapture. And so listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul says, brothers... We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of Jesus, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now notice how Paul describes this event. He, he tells us there will be sounds, a, a loud command from God, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God. Now as you read Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, you, you discover a lot of those same descriptions that John gives when he goes up to heaven in Revelation chapter 4. But next he says that the believers will be resurrected. Paul said the dead in Christ will rise. Now understand, not everyone is going to be resurrected here. Only those who have placed their faith, their trust in Jesus will be resurrected right here. The graves of, of God's people will fly open everywhere. The seas will give up the dead. Battlefields will give up their dead. Country graveyards will give up their dead. City cemeteries will give up their dead. Mass graves will give up their dead. The dead in Christ will raise, be resurrected from the grave. But notice something Jesus says. Jesus says that he will bring with them those who have fallen asleep. But then he says that their bodies will come up out of the grave. So what's going on here? Well, when a believer dies, they immediately go into the presence of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. The apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from our bodies is to be present with the Lord. There are some people that teach a soul sleep, that when we die, our soul goes to sleep to be resurrected on the last day. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that our body is asleep awaiting the resurrection, but our souls go into the presence of the Lord. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, it says, And the dust returns to the ground from which it came, and the Spirit returns to the God who gave it. The resurrection is that moment when the soul is reunited with the body and given a glorified body. But we are also told at that exact moment that those who are alive and remain will be snatched up to be with Jesus in the air. That's the rapture. Jesus snatches us. He seizes us. We're called up. Now some say the word rapture never occurs in the Bible. And that's true. Uh, the word rapture is an English word. There are no English words in, in the New Testament, the original New Testament. The word rapture, the English word, comes from rapto, a Latin word. Uh, rapto means to be seized, snatched, be snatched up, to be caught up. But what you need to understand is that the word that is used here in the Greek is arpazo. And it is a word that means the same thing in Greek that rapto means in Latin. It means to be seized or called up, to be snatched away. And so when people say that the Bible never talks about the rapture, they just don't have a clue because the Bible does. The Bible doesn't use the word rapture because it's not a Greek word. The Greek word is arpazo, which means to be 
caught up, to be snatched away, to be seized into the air. And that's what Jesus does. There's coming a moment in time when the dead in Christ will rise and those who are alive and remain will be snatched off of this earth. We will be given you glorified bodies and we will be with the Lord forever. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul talks about this in a different way. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. Now let me remind you, the word mystery in the Bible is a hidden truth that has been revealed through the power of the Holy Spirit. So a mystery is something that was once hidden, but has now been revealed to us through God, through the power of His Holy Spirit. So Paul says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, we'll not all die. And by the way, don't you like how they use that phrase, sleep, to describe death for a believer? And that's the word. That's the word that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's the word we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's the word sleep. And that's what happens to a believer. Death is not the end. The Greek word nekros, death, is not used. Why? Because death isn't the end for the believer. It's not the end in any way, shape, or form. And so he says, we will not all sleep, we're not going to all die, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, the mortal with immortality, when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? At that moment of the rapture, we will be changed. We'll be changed from corruption to incorruption, from mortality to immortality. We will be given immortal bodies that will never die. We'll be changed. I heard a story a while back about this old farmer who had never been to the city. And so one day he decided that he was going to go to the city with his wife and his, his adult son. So they loaded up their truck, they went to the big city, and they were amazed by all the sights they saw in the city. And then they went to this big hotel that they were going to stay in, and they got checked into the hotel, and they got to the elevator, and they had never seen an elevator. They didn't know what it was. And so they were standing there looking at the elevator. The, the wife had gone away for a bit, and so the father and his son was standing there. And, and as they were sitting there watching the elevator, this elderly woman got on the elevator, pressed the button, the doors closed. A couple of minutes later, the door opened up again, and there was this young, beautiful woman on the elevator. And that old farmer said to his son, Son, you stay here. I'm going to get Mom and put her on that machine. One day, one day, each of us are going to be changed. We're going to be given an incorruptible, perfect body, the rapture. Second, who will participate in the rapture? Well, the rapture isn't for everyone. We've seen that. Not everyone will participate. Not everyone is going to be resurrected at this time. Listen to what it says in the Bible. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding floor together at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Jesus said there is coming an event in human history where two people will be in bed, asleep. One will be taken, the other will be left behind. Two people will be working. One will be taken, the other will be left behind. That's the rapture. 
But you need to understand the rapture is a family reunion and only family are invited. Adrian Rogers is in heaven now, but I believe that he was literally one of the prince of preachers and maybe I, I think he's one of the best preacher, preachers of the last several centuries. And Adrian Rogers said this, he said, those who are heaven born will be heaven bound. And that's true. Those who have been born again through the power of the Spirit of God will be bound for heaven at this time. Now, if you go back to Revelation chapter 4, you discover something that I think gives a little more explanation of this. We, we discover 24 elders around the throne. And these 24 elders are clothed in white robes and they have crowns on their heads. Now, who are these elders? Now, the amazing thing is this. Regardless of what Bible scholars may believe about the rapture, almost every Bible-believing Bible scholar believes that these 24 elders are representative of the redeemed, the saved of all the ages. The white robes represent the righteousness that we have in Christ and because of Christ. The crowns on their heads are crowns they received at the judgment seat of Christ. Now some of you are going, what is that all about? We're going to look at that next week. Some of you think that believers won't be judged. You're wrong. Believers will be judged. We're going to face the judgment. It's just not the same judgment as unbelievers face. And so we see these 24 elders representing the church with white robes representing the righteousness that we receive through Christ not our righteousness but his righteousness and we see these crowns on the head of these elders that are eventually going to be placed before the throne of God because of the things that we have done as followers of Jesus you see at some point in the future you and I are going to be snatched out of this world if we know Jesus the redeemed of all ages will let me give you an example Suppose that we took some metal and we ground up the metal. We took some gold, we took some silver, we took some copper, we took some zinc, and we took some iron, and we ground it up into dust. And we scattered all of that metal on the ground, and we put some under the ground. And then we got a giant electromagnet, and we took that magnet over the ground where we scattered all that metal. What we would discover is some of the metal would come up out of the ground and attach itself to the magnet, but some would be left behind. The gold would be left behind. The silver would be left behind. The, the zinc would be left behind. The copper would be left behind. But the iron would be snatched up from the ground, from under the ground, and connect to the magnet. Why? Because the iron that is in the ground has the same nature as the magnet. One day, those of us who have the nature of God, we've been given a new nature through the new birth. We're going to be snatched out of this world and taken to heaven. Third, when does the rapture occur? What does the Bible say? Well, Matthew 24 says this, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came. 
took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, when is Jesus coming? Well, the Bible makes it clear that no one knows. The Bible says that it will be like in the days of Noah, when the people were eating and drinking and giving in marriage, having a grand old time. They didn't know that God's judgment was about to come. But it came, and it destroyed them. The Apostle Paul said it's going to come like a thief in the night, when everybody is saying that everything is safe, and there's peace in the world, but all of a sudden, destruction is going to come. So we don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know when the rapture is going to occur. But there are some views. Now, let me give you a little statement before it. Northside, we have as a church what we call essential beliefs and non-essential beliefs. Essential beliefs, we say, you've got to believe these things to be a part of our body of believers. Non-essential beliefs, we say these are not essential because there are people that love Jesus, that believe the Bible, that disagree with us on this. And we would say when it comes to the rapture of the church and when the rapture occurs, this is a non-essential belief. And yet, it is very important. Now, there are three major views among those who believe the Bible about the rapture. The first is a post-tribulation rapture those who hold to this view believe that the rapture is going to occur after the tribulation so the church goes through the entire tribulation and then jesus raptures the church now i have a problem with this view for two reasons first of all if the rapture occurs at the end of the tribulation then what's the purpose because we're raptured up in the air and then all of a sudden we come down with jesus from the air it's almost like the two events will occur simultaneously. To me, that just doesn't make sense. And then second, if the rapture occurs at the end of the tribulation, we can pretty well figure out when that's going to happen. I mean, there are clear signs that are going to take place during the tribulation. The Antichrist is going to become the power. The Antichrist is going to make a covenant with Israel. The Antichrist is going to break that covenant. There are things that are going to happen. And so if we know the Bible, if we're reading the Bible, if we're studying the Bible, we can pretty well narrow down when Jesus is going to come back. So I, I, I don't think that's the right view. The second view is the mid-tribulation view. And, and those who hold to a mid-tribulation view say that Jesus is going to come during the midpoint of the tribulation or when the Antichrist shows his true colors and breaks his covenant with Israel. There's another view that's very similar to this view. It's called the pre-wrath view. And those who hold to this view say that the wrath of God doesn't really take place until the sixth seal in the book of Revelation. And so they say it's at that point that Jesus comes back to rapture the church. But again, the problem I would have with the pre-tribulation or the pre-wrath view is if you're following biblical truth, there are clear signs that you can see where you can kind of zero in where that three-and-a-half-year period is. And so that leaves us with a pre-tribulation 
rapture of the church, which is what I believe the Bible teaches. The first reason, like I said before, is because the church is never mentioned in chapter 4 through chapter 21 of Revelation. If the church was a vital part of the world during the tribulation, then, then wouldn't the church be mentioned? Because we read all about the church in the rest of the New Testament. We read all about the church in Revelation 1, 2, and 3. But then it's as if the church is no longer even mentioned in Scripture until we get to the very last chapter of Revelation where Jesus reminds the churches to pay attention to what he said. You see, I believe with all my heart that the church is going to be raptured before the tribulation occurs. But what if I'm wrong? I mean, I could be wrong. Don't think I'm wrong. You better pray I'm not wrong. But I like what someone said years ago. They said, as followers of Jesus, we need to pray for a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. But we better be prepared for a post-tribulation rapture. Because the reality is, Christians are going through persecution and tribulation today all around the world. And for us to think that we're going to be spared from tribulation in this world is just foolishness. The truth of the matter is, God promises us tribulation as followers of Jesus. And that takes me to the final truth that I believe is important in understanding the rapture, and that is why does the rapture take place? And there are several reasons. Uh, one theologian has written a book that revealed 52 reasons why the rapture occurs before the tribulation. I really don't know if there's 52 reasons, but I do believe there are several valid reasons. I, I want to give you two of them. The first one is to remove us from the earth before the coming wrath. You see, this final tribulation that we read about in Revelation chapter 6 and following is not tribulation that occurs from the world. It's tribulation that occurs from God on a sinful, unrepentant world. And there is a big difference between you and I facing tribulation that comes from a sinful world and you and I experiencing tribulation that comes from an angry God. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 and 17, it says this. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Now that word wrath is used twice in those verses is the Greek word orge. It means anger. It means vengeance. We are presently living in a day of grace where whoever will can come to Jesus and receive his grace and his mercy. But he warns us that there is coming a day when the world will be judged for its sin and rebellion. And that day begins during this tribulation period. Now, I don't believe that God is going to pour out his anger on his children. Throughout the New Testament, we are promised that we who follow Jesus will be spared from that wrath, that orge, that anger of God. 
In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says, For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. When we know Jesus, we have been rescued from that wrath, that terrible anger that God is going to bring upon the earth. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, it says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God didn't appoint us. God didn't call us so that we would have to suffer his wrath. God called us and saved us and redeemed us so that we could experience his salvation. And do you remember the promise that that Jesus gave to the church at Philadelphia that we talked about last week? He said, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. You see, the tribulation is not for God's children. God didn't appoint us to suffer his wrath. Throughout the Bible, when God would bring judgment on the world, he would remove his children first. Look at Noah. The world had become so exceedingly wicked that God decided that he would destroy the world. But the Bible says Noah found favor. Noah found, discovered, experienced God's grace. And so what did God do? God delivered him through the ark from the flood that destroyed the entire world. Look at Lot. The New Testament tells us that Lot was a preacher of righteousness. But this preacher of righteousness lived in an incredibly wicked city, Sodom. The Bible tells us that God had determined that he would destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But before he did, he removed Lot and his family from that city. You see, the Bible always seems to indicate that before God brings his judgment on the world, he delivers his children out of the world. So even though we face tribulation as followers of Jesus, we will not have to go through the tribulation. He's delivered us from the wrath, rescued us from the wrath that is to come. But I believe there's a second reason for the rapture, and that's to reunite us with those who have gone before The Bible says that at the rapture we'll be reunited with with the dead in Christ. So at that moment in time, all of those that we know, all those that we love who are followers of Jesus, we're going to be reunited with. But we're not going to only be reunited with them, we're going to be united with those who have gone before us who love Jesus. The the disciples, uh, the patriarchs of old, those who were looking forward to the blessed hope that could only be found in Jesus Christ. I think there's a third reason that aren't on your notes, but that's to remove the restrainer from the world. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're told that there is a restrainer that is keeping the Antichrist from showing his power to the world. Now, when that restrainer is removed, the Bible says that the Antichrist will come in power. What is that restrainer? Well, there's all kind of ideas about what the restrainer is. I believe that the restrainer is the Spirit-filled church of God. The Spirit-filled church of God is holding back the power of Satan in the world today. But when all of the redeemed, 
are removed from this world, Satan will have free reign on this world. Now, here's what I know. I could be wrong about the rapture. I don't think I am. I think I'm right. But I could be wrong. But I'm not wrong on Jesus coming back. And when he comes back, <laughs> you better be ready. Because if he comes back and you're not ready, it's too late. I read a story a while back about this father and this daughter who loved to swim. And one day they were out swimming in the ocean and they weren't paying attention. And the undercurrent, the undertow took them out. And before long, the waves were getting real big. The wind was blowing hard. And the father looked and realized there's no way that his daughter could get back to shore. So he turned to his daughter and he said, you're a good swimmer. And you could float all day long. So I want you to get on your back and I want you to float. And daddy's going to go get some help. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. So you just sit here and wait on daddy. And he started swimming to shore. And he swam and he swam and he swam for hours against that current until he finally made it in. And when he did, he told the people what had happened. And multiple people came out there with boats to help him look for his daughter. And after several hours, someone on a boat said, I see a body. They went over to the body, and there was that little girl floating on her back with a smile on her face, looking up at the sky. And the guy in the boat said, aren't you afraid being out here all alone? And the little girl said, why should I be afraid? My daddy told me he was coming back, and I know he would. Dear friend, our Savior has promised that he's coming back. John 14, Jesus told his disciples, don't be troubled, don't be afraid. You believe in the Father, believe in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you to myself so that where I am, you can be there as well. In Acts chapter 1, when when Jesus ascended up into heaven, leaving his disciples looking, trying to figure out what was going on, two angels came down and they told the disciples, this same Jesus that you saw go up into heaven is coming back again. He's coming again. Oh, it could be at any time. And if you're not ready, I'm just telling you, according to the very words of Jesus, you're going to be left behind. You don't want to be left behind. And getting ready is easy. It's as simple as ABC. You've got to admit that you're a sinner, that you've lived life your way. You've tried to live like you were on the throne of your life when you're not. God is supposed to be on the throne of your life. He's supposed to be one calling the shots. You've got to admit that you're a sinner. You've got to believe that Jesus came to this earth. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave defeating sin and death for you. And you've got to commit your life to him. When you do that, he'll change everything about you from the inside out. Oh, dear brother and sister, if you're here and you don't know that you're ready for that day when he comes back, what are you waiting for? What better time than today? What better time than now? And so I want to ask you to bow your head, close your eyes. And if you're here and 
you don't know that you're ready for Jesus when he comes back, then I want to encourage you to humble yourself before him and pray this prayer to him right now. Dear Father, I humbly come to you today admitting that I am a sinner. I've been living life my way. I've been doing what I wanted to do. I've been playing God. I'm sorry. I don't want to live this way anymore. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave to pay for my sins to conquer death on my behalf. Today I'm asking you to save me. I'm placing my trust in you. And I'm giving you my life. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. I'm yours. You're my Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Amen. Now look at